Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 89 of High Character. No intro music for obvious reasons. Uh, UMass played the opening round game against BC, and this season has come to a come to an end with a little bit of a whimper here as they lost five to two to BC. Um, not great, not a great game, not a great season. Um, but we're here to talk about it for our 62nd episode, I believe, of this season. My name is Cameron, and I'm joined by my good friend, Evan. Evan, how's it going, man? You know how it's going. I think everybody knows how it's going. It's it's that episode. It was going to happen at some point this season. It's a little premature, you know what I mean? But it's just the way the season's been going, man. I mean, it, it, it sucks that it was against BC. You know how much I hate BC. I think most of us hate BC at the end of the day. But we got beat, you know. If I'm being if I'm being completely honest, I don't think we really deserve to go much farther than where we went. So, you know, it is what it is. There's a couple bright spots this season, but there were some glaring issues. And, you know, we knew that to start off the season. And as we've said numerous times this season, you know, we got off to a hot start, kind of, you know, kind of blinded us to some of those glaring issues and came back and bit us in the butt later on in the season. So it is what it is, but yeah, I'm ready to wrap up this season and look forward to the, uh, to the following one, you know? Yeah. And uh, we'll be have a little bit different episode than normal. We'll go through our, our game recap kind of quickly, and then we're going to um, kind of wrap up the season, uh, talk about what our predictions were in the beginning and how those turned out on some other things to kind of fully wrap up this year, a year that uh, like you said, it, it's disappointing. And I honestly seem feels like it, uh, it went worse than we expected it to. We didn't have the highest expectations coming in just with all the departures, um, a lot of good seniors leaving last year. But to finish the season 13, 17 and 5, 7, 14 and 3 in conference um, and getting a, an opening round road game, it's not what we expected um, after the beginning half of the season. The the question marks and in, in goal is not what we expected. So um yeah, we'll 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 touch on all this after we recap the game, but just a lot of things that um kind of just didn't didn't go the way that we thought they'd be going, even at points during the season. Yeah, definitely. It was a tough one, but we'll get to that conversation a little bit. I say we just get this game out of the way, you know what I mean? Yeah, rip the band-aid off for this BC yeah. game. So um Cole Brady and net for this one. We fully expected this after the last couple of weeks. He looked really good in Maine too. So um, that was kind of the no-brainer choice to go to. And uh, BC takes advantage immediately just a minute into this game. We see a shot all the way from the point from Marshall Warren that just kind of finds its way through, makes it one nothing. And after uh, after the first game at Conti Forum this year, the one where BC got a, a 5 nothing lead in the first period, um, just can't help but think negative thoughts after this one. Yeah, I mean, that was just a weird one. It, I couldn't really tell if uh, Brady was screened there I mean it was just you know it was a decent enough shot man but just I don't know you just got to be there to save those that's just another one of those it's like a 50-50 puck you know what I mean it just seems like you know we have a pretty decent you know shot at stopping it and we just couldn't manage to do it it's just sums up the season man you know it's just there's been a lot of kind of 50-50 plays and we've always seemed to be on the losing end of them so yeah it, it is what it is it was not a good way to start off the game because I was hyped most of the, you know, the fans were, let's say, you know, probably at least 50-50, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of UMass people in that building, and we were all really hype, and that kind of sucked us out of it pretty damn early. 
Yeah, the, the building was definitely more UMass fans um, and UMass not taking advantage of that for sure. Uh, BC absolutely dominated this period. Um, the shot totals ended up being 20 to four in favor of BC at the end of the period. So kind of kind of how things have been going this season. They didn't get another goal, though, uh, until three minutes left in the period. We see, um, I think it was Cam Burke for BC, just completely skate around Owen Murray and Cal Keefe, just very lackluster efforts to stop the puck handler there. He gets a shot in, and then uh, another BC player cleans up the rebound to make it 2-0. Uh, just not, not the effort you want in a, in a postseason game, especially. And this was a really annoying one, though, because I don't, I don't like to blame the, the refs and the linesmen too much, but we literally won the faceoff clean. And then Briganti says, no, actually, we're going to call that one back. And then we lose the, the, the second faceoff, and then that happens. It's like, really, man? You know, like, I don't know. That was just a real ball buster for me. I just really was not a fan of that. And, yeah, the defense was suspect, to say the least. Like, there is no way around that. You can't just glide right in, you know. And it looked like he put in his own rebound. Like, it, I don't even know who the hell actually ended up getting that. But, yeah, stupid. You know what I mean? You got to clear out the front of the front of the net way better. Another one of those just, you know, like maybe Cole Brady could have paddled it away a little bit better because that was a really soft rebound. But, yeah, it's just, again, another one of those plays that sums up the season, man. It's just we're not we're not playing fast, hard, and prepared. That was just a really slow, soft play right there by us, and we got punished for it. Yeah, and multiple guys, too, kind of failing to do their job there. UMass answered pretty quickly. Um, this was a really pretty goal set up by Mercury and Mikey Adamson to give uh, a cross crease one-timer to Taylor McCarr, who uh, who finishes it off his 10th his of the season, the only player on the team to eclipse that double digits and goals. Uh, and the momentum definitely shifted here. It seemed like UMass was going to take just a one-goal deficit into the locker room, and like vibes were pretty good, a very nice goal, one of the better ones we've seen this season. Yeah, I mean, that's what we need. We got to get bodies forward. You know, that was the problem is that, you know, we were having a lot of trouble in the whole game just kind of even entering the zone. We were getting plugged up in the neutral zone way too much. And now we finally get a fairly clean zone entry and we made them pay. But the chances were just too far, you know, few and far between, I think is the, the way to say yeah. that. But yeah, just we were getting outshot heavily. We barely even got the puck to the net against Benson. And a couple of times we did. I mean, we got goals out of it, but. It just wasn't to be, you know, really, really good pass from Adamson because I'll be the first to admit I was kind of complaining about him earlier in the game. He just wasn't really playing that well defensively, but he had the vision on that one to send it across to Taylor and Taylor sniped at home, which was cool. But yeah, you know, just wasn't enough. Yeah, it uh, definitely should have been the last goal of the period, but we see with 20 seconds left, Scott Morrow handling the puck, looking to uh, start a play in our own defensive zone. He just loses an edge. He falls, gives the puck right up to, to BC. Uh, and Andre Gasso nets one with 15 seconds left in the period, which it it felt like a dagger in this game, even in the in the first period with that momentum shift. UMass looked like it was taking momentum into the locker room. Uh, it, it ended up being on a, a Scott Morrow blunder there, which, um, I mean, we haven't been – the kindest over the season uh over the course of the season seeing those um it's been a little bit tough to watch on the defensive end of things so uh really one of one of the more brutal goals given up this year yeah i mean that one's really unfortunate like it's not like it's really like an inherent like skill issue or something like that i mean you lose an edge you lose an edge it could have been a divot on the ice 
whole bunch of things that could have happened there. Skate just could have, you know, screwed up or whatever. But, oh, man, you know what I mean? Like, that's just one of those goals where it's like we need things to go into our favor and the hockey guys are just straight up not smiling on us. Like, yep. it, it is what it is. But, you know, just with the amount of kind of errors that we've seen in our own defensive zone, like just seeing that happen, I, I knew from that point, I was like, there's no chance in hell that we're winning this game. You know what I mean? Like there's still two periods left to go, but I mean, if we're playing like that, man, like it's, it's over. So that was just, it was definitely a low point right there, especially in a playoff game. Like we were just playing so much in our own defensive zone. And if we can't even effectively skate the puck out of it, when there's almost no pressure on you, how the hell are we meant to win this game? So yeah, just really, really dark moment there for UMass hockey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we go to the intermission three, one, come back out the play still uh the ice is definitely tilted in bc's direction um we were a little surprised not to see a, a goalie switch here i guess a uh, carvel really wanted to um unlock something in, in cole brady but about halfway through the period we see nikita nesterenko who's been absolutely terrorizing umass hockey this season skate the puck in he just takes a wrister from past the faceoff dot Brady's completely unscreened and he just just lets it go through to make it four to one. Yeah, I mean, that's a filthy shot. I mean, he he was kind of screened actually a little bit. It looked like Owen Murray was trying to get in the way and they kind of shot it in between Murray's legs, at least from what I can see. I mean, that's that's a tough angle, you know what I mean? But you got to be able to do better. You got to make yourself bigger. You got to, you know what I mean? Like, if you're getting beat like that from above, you know, like the arc of the faceoff circle we come on like what's like what more can we do here you know what I mean like it's a it's a filthy shot from admittedly a really really good player but yeah I mean we just simply got out skilled in this whole game you know like they have guys that can make those sorts of shots like you know we were we were getting some of those types of goals earlier on in the season you know shooting pucks on net from the, from those weird positions but lately we cannot snipe them from that area you know what I mean like Cal had a couple against Maine and that's really the 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 most recent one I can think of so we're just we're just getting out sniped simple as that yeah um that was the only goal of the second period again uh I believe BC had the edge in shots yeah it was 14 to 8 uh in shots there so ice definitely tilted we go to the third um kind of all hope lost at this point at least it feels like we see Ryan Ufko um takes the puck at the blue line and um nips one bar down a little twine seeking missile for you to end the season uh just 22 seconds into the period so um a little glimmer of light there if you mass can do something like that two more times it was nice to see Ufko get another one there yeah I mean that was a really solid goal he was dancing on the blue line got a really really nice shot in a good you know good place to shoot at but you know it, it seems like whenever there's a bright moment you know, at least recently for this team, there's always going to be one or two bad moments to just even it out. And we're going to talk about it in a couple minutes. I mean, this goal is going to effectively get canceled out pretty quickly. So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. You know, individual efforts like that are great, but when the team can't hunker down and, you know, make big plays and claw their way back into a game, it's all worthless at the end of the day. You know, I'm not trying to be too sad and, you know, doomer here, but, you know, that's just the reality of it. We just, we're shooting ourselves in our, in our own feet the entire game. So sucks but that's just the way the whole season's gone yeah and bc answered pretty quickly just three minutes later um umass 
just letting Andre Gesso skate circles in their own zone. Um, he's able to get around three separate guys uh, and just get an easy cross crease to, you guessed it, Nikita Nesterenko, wide open for another goal to make it 5-2. Just no defense here. Just literally making our, our defense look like pylons, which, I mean, at a lot of points this season, that's exactly what they have been. You know what I mean? Like, just the defense is, quite frankly, not up to par. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, like – I don't like. I don't even know how to describe the goal at this point. I'm. I'm not even gonna bother. We're just getting absolutely undressed yeah. the whole way. So, you know, yeah. I'm. I can't. I can't even say anything now. I'm losing. I'm losing my words, Cameron. That's just how I feel about this game as a whole. Yeah, I can't blame you at all. Um, that would be the last goal of the game, and uh, with a with a whimper, UMass season ends in the opening round on a, on a Wednesday. Um, not what we imagined after the beginning of this season. Um, I thought this game as a whole was very representative of the entire season. Um, we had iffy goaltending, some shots that we thought were definitely savable, um, giving up 40 plus shots. The, the shooting edge was 42 to 18 in favor of BC. Uh, that kind of thing has been happening all season and you're not going to win hockey games like that. Uh, Taylor McCarr got another penalty uh, roughing call. I don't know if he is up to 40 minutes now on the season. Um, we saw a, a, a couple defensive breakdowns lead to goals in our own zone, uh, a lack of physicality, a lack of goal scoring, um, took a lot more, a lot of penalties more than BC did. And we lost the edge in the faceoff dot, which has been more of a theme in the second half. But, um, those are just the things I listed off the top of my head as being representative of the whole season. It's just kind of, um, this game perfectly summed up all the, all the things we've been going through this year. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll mention off the bat, I think you asked if, uh, if Taylor McCarr was up to 40 penalty minutes this season. He's at 50, 54. Oh. So that right there will just tell you all you need to know about that. I mean, granted, I think one or two of those might have been game misconducts, yeah. which is its own problem in its own right. But, I mean, if you just want to count minor penalties, I think he has like 12 on the season, which is roughly on par with some of the higher guys on the team. So it's kind of massively inflated due to some – really, really odd hand head hunting moments from him. But yeah, I mean, it just shows you the the undisciplined nature of some of the guys on this team. But um yeah, a lot of a lot of glaring issues at the end of the day, you know, and we thought that we had some answers, you know, maybe in the goaltending, you know, Pav was looking really, really good in some moments this season. You know, he's had some really low moments as well. But yeah, there's there's a lot of changes that are going to have to happen, you know, over the course of this offseason, like whether it's just, you know, bringing in, you know, transfers or something like that. I don't even know how the transfer market's even going to look because it seems like in a lot of our cases, transfers have kind of been swings and misses for the most part. Like the only major, you know, transfers that we've had have been guys that were previously at St. Lawrence, you know, because of Carby. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, those are really just his own recruits that he's just bringing to another school. Like, if we're talking about getting guys that have played for a different coach for, you know, two or three years up until that point, and now they're joining the, the UMass kind of Carvey system, they, they just really aren't doing that a lot. Like Josh Nodler really wasn't anything crazy this season. Like Elliot McDermott, love him to death. You know, he's a huge fan of the pod, really cool guy, but he's, you know, he's, he's a plus two on the season, which is actually, I think that might be the lead on the team. The second, second highest on the team behind Noah Ellis, like, but if if you're if we're going by the eye test here, he got burned a lot this season. Like same thing with Morrow. You know he's only a minus three on the season, but that's with 
31 points. So at the bare minimum, he was on the ice for 31 goals for UMass. And that just means he was on the ice for at least 34 goals against, which is insane. So, you know, just defensively, things have been really suspect. The scoring wasn't where it had to be. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like, you know, whenever we're playing against teams that acquire that sort of top level talent, they just crap all over us. You know what I mean? Like it always seems like the other team's top line is just a league better than our own top line. Cause you know, we just don't really have that, that, that big time skill, you know, and Carvey will always preach about how will, you know, will beat skill. I, I don't think we had the will or the skill this season. It just simply wasn't there. Yeah. Let's, let's take it kind of section by section. Yeah. Um, and we can kind of give our takes of what, we think UMass needs to do uh, in the next season or a couple seasons to get better at this. I'll start with a kind of more difficult one to answer. Uh, this game made it so that UMass lost all four games to BC, all of them in pretty like wide margins. I don't know if you have any like solutions to getting over this. I, I don't even know if I know the immediate problem because it's not like BC was good this year. They're pretty mid. They finished as the eight seed in hockey East. So uh, our woes against them are very well documented over um, the history of both programs. UMass is something like 17 and like 80 something against them. So what do you think we have to do to, to get over this hump against just specifically BC alone? I don't know. I might be a little bit of a, of a crazy person. People might be screaming at their computers listening to this when I say this, but I, I think the, the poor record against BC is a bit overinflated just because you got to remember like historically, you know, the team had very, very, you know, not, not a lot of good moments. You know what I mean? Like UMass is just, we haven't been at the level that we're at right now for very long. This is mm-hmm. kind of a new era for new mass, if you will. BC has always been kind of one of the powerhouses, you know, like they're historically they're, they're kind of quote unquote meant to beat us. So, I mean, when we talk about, you know, like 19 for 75 or whatever the hell the record is, that's cool. But I mean, I feel like recently, you know, we haven't been, horrible against them you know what i mean like a lot of the, like you, you're shaking your head i don't know like i'm just thinking I, like i crunched the numbers uh in since the 2018-19 season uh, i'm including that season as well umass is four and 11 against them uh all things considered bc's been is, pretty mid in that span that is fair i mean i think i don't i i might just be of the opinion that you really can't put too much stock into playing against specific teams yeah. Because, you know, some teams, you know, I feel like a lot of it is just kind of, we just don't show up and play our best hockey against it. It could, it could very well be this weird kind of, you know, systematic matchup coaching thing that I'm just straight up not seeing right now. I feel like that very well could be the case because I remember from watching them, at least at the bare minimum of the, the end of last season, when we played them, when we tried to lock up the hockey's title or the regular season title against them they do a very good job at plugging up the neutral zone and making it impossible to get a clean zone entry against them. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what happened last night. It happened last year at the bare minimum is every time we play against them at Conti, that always happens. And I'm assuming it's the same exact type of system that they'll play, you know, against UMass. I think we play on bigger ice at UMass rather than Conti, but mm-hmm. it still doesn't completely, you know, ruin their kind of, I don't know if I want to call it like a trap or whatever, because I'm not amazingly kind of up to date on my, you know, coaching schemes and, you know, whatever the hell teams do on the ice, but yeah, it always just seems like they're really, really good at limiting the way that we specifically like to play. And I mean, it's, it's tough, but 
you know, in the same vein, it, it looked a lot worse this weekend because you ha- they're, they're one of the teams that you have to beat with skill. Mm. It's really, really tough to like, you know, outgrind them in the corners because they're going to force you to play that type of way and they're going to beat you because they know that that's what you're going to want to do because they're forcing you to chip it into their own zone to try and make chances. And they simply don't allow it. They're very well coached team. You know what I mean? Like they had the same coach for like 50 years and the guy that's coaching them right now, I'm pretty sure used to be one of his assistants. So it's like, mm-hmm. they're basically just pat. They, they just put Jerry York's brain into a younger dude's body and just said, Hey, keep the tradition going. Like they, they know, they know their system and they know it well. And clearly it freaking gets results because it's working against us. But yeah, I, the, that's a long convoluted answer of saying, I don't know how the hell we're supposed to change it, but yeah. there's, there's definitely an issue now that I'm thinking about it, you know, longer. Yeah. And, uh, talk about BC's defense kind of giving us fits. Uh, UMass's defense is another one of those sections that definitely is going to need to be addressed going to, into next season. Um, they gave up a whopping over 34 shots per game this season, which is far and away the worst that they've had in, in years. Um, it hurt last night having Bollinger out with an injury, obviously. Um, I didn't, I didn't agree with coach Carvel having Scott Morrow and Elliot McDermott on the same line, kind of the two, uh, like least mobile defensemen that we have on the team. Um, but kind of any, any way you pair them, we were giving up a lot of shots this season. So I think next year, definitely going to need to look to getting at least one transfer D man. And we need, I, I don't know if you agree with this position. We definitely need um, another guy or two. That's more of a stay at home defenseman. Mm-hmm. I think it hurt not having Lyndon Alger for most of this season. He's, he's more of a bigger body stay at home kind of guy. Um, but I, I, I think we're going to need to focus on more guys that can play defensively and not, um, not have every defenseman be kind of a two way guy. Yeah, no, I mean, I've said this to, you know, people that I've talked to at UMass games, but, like, we have too many puck movers when it comes to defensemen. Like, if you – I wonder if I could, like, filter elite prospects by this. I don't think I can off the top of my head. But, I mean, just kind of looking at the uh, the general, like, height and weight distribution of our defensemen, we have one, two, three – we have four guys over six foot, right? Now, one of them has been injured most of the season, Lyndon Alger. Noah Ellis has been in and out of the lineup – sporadically scott morrow is six two but he plays like he's about five nine and then you have kennedy o'connor who's been kind of sporadically in and out of the lineup as well so you know if basically only one of those guys this season has been a like the mainstay in the defensive core and he's six two and it's scott morrow who is basically all hands kind of not really a whole lot of muscle and substance to him if you will you know what i mean he's not he's not a gritty player you know i think we can all agree on that that's just not his game you know, the rest of the guys that we have for defense that are being mainstays in the team, Ryan Ufko, 5'11", 170. He's a smaller dude. You know what I mean? He, he honestly plays a bit bigger than that, but mm-hmm. he's, he, he's not really throwing the body anything crazy. He's using a stick and doing poke checks. You got guys like Mikey Adamson who's been in and out of the lineup. Aaron Bollinger, love the guy to death, but he's, he's, a, he's a smaller dude. He's 5'9", 165. Like, you know, Ryan Ufko and Bollinger are some of, you know, the the – the most important guys on our defense right now with, with Moro, all three of those guys are not physical D men whatsoever. Like it genuinely looks like at times we have five forwards out on the ice because we don't have, you know, like, I don't want to sound like, you know, we need a six foot six, 240 pound defenseman from the middle of Russia. You know what I mean? Who's just <laughs> big meathead looking dude. We need smart players. I get that. But like, you know, 
that's the thing that I've noticed from teams that have been really, really good for UMass in the past. They have grit. You know, we're, we're out here throwing the body. You know, we had guys like Anthony Delgaizo, you know, Jerry Hardy last season was a freaking wrecking ball. I don't know what the hell happened this season, but he hasn't been throwing the body the same way that he used to. I don't know if I'm going insane on that. Maybe you can, you might be, you might be able to vouch for that. I don't know if you've noticed that, but just overall, we have not been a physical team, you know, like, and if you're not going to be physical, you damn well better have skill. And that's, that's just simply not the roster that we have. You know what I mean? We don't have guys that are getting 40 something points a season and scoring 20 goals. We had one dude in double digit for goals. Like we had the depth scoring, I guess you can say, because we had like five different players at nine goals on the season, but we don't have a guy. Every other team in Hockey East, it seems like they have at least one guy that they can turn to to make things happen. We don't have that. And that's that's a really, really big concerning part right now. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, we're starting to sound like uh, back in my day, guys, for the first time. This is a little tough right now. Hey, but It has to happen, I feel like. it's <laughs> gonna. It was going to happen at some point, and it, as long as it's at the end of the season where, you know, now there's the ability to, t- to, to get those kind of guys maybe as like a late transfer or a late recruit, better late than never. Yeah, let's switch over to um, scoring. This year we saw I, – I made myself a little spreadsheet here. Since 2018-19 season – um by far the lowest goals per game for this team um and uh, some some worse defensive stats too but um also by far the least amount of shots per game uh from UMass as well so uh definitely was a struggle compared to prior seasons I mean we talked a lot last year about not having depth scoring and, and stuff like that but uh this year was way worse um and it, that was the issue last year that we had so I don't know. I, I could see guys like Kenny Connors, um, like Cole O'Hara, Michael Cameron and stuff taking more of a jump offensively. I don't see them having huge progressive off seasons where they get like that much better. I think they'll still be solid contributors, but it's really hard to say this guy's going to have a, a huge jump. Um, do we have, I don't know. I know you've been pretty, pretty tied in with the the pipeline and the recruits and stuff like that. Is there any, uh, any hope coming up on that horizon for guys that can score for us? I mean, coming up next year, it kind of depends on who comes in. I mean, Cameron O'Neill was a hugely kind of rated guy when he was playing um, prep hockey. Um, I think it was Mount St. Charles he played for. He was absolutely filled. The dude had like 133 points or something like that in like 60 games. He was filled. I think he's playing in the USHL this season. He's doing okay, like he, but he's definitely more offensive-minded player. The guy for me right now is Adar Sunayev. I mean, he's going to be absolutely filthy. He's a Russian-born player. He's playing in the BCHL right now, the same league that uh, Tyson Dick was in, and is putting up basically the same numbers as Tyson Dick in his rookie season. He's like, he's probably going to end up ending the season with like 80-something points and like, you know, 50-something games or something like that. But the big difference between him and Dick is that Sunayev is like six foot three, like 210 pounds. He's like Taylor McCarr's size as a freshman, and he has like an NHL-ready shot. So, I mean – we're going to have some, some forwards coming in, you know, like Jack Moose is supposed to be really solid. We flipped him from, I think, BU. Um, we're going to be getting Bo Cosman, who's playing in the NAHL right now, which is a uh, little bit of a, of a lesser known U.S. league, but he should be able to provide some, you know, some solid depth for us as well. So we got guys coming in, you know, it's, we have no idea, you know, what the transfer pipeline could look like. There's always the possibility we can flip guys from other teams too. So you just, it's, there's still a lot up in the air right now. You know, it's always a really fluid thing, but yeah, we'll see. 
Yeah, and then uh, one of I, I think a lot of the listeners will think is the biggest thing that we're going to need going into next season is goaltending. Obviously, it's been a big question mark this year. We thought well, Pav did win the job over. Uh, he had some solid stats, but um, I'm I'm of the belief that the defense definitely let him down um, and kind of opened the door for some other options. And then by the end of the season, it was really just nobody getting the job done. Um, if you're looking towards next season, not a lot of answers right now. Um, Michael Hrabel is the biggest prospect that we have in terms of goaltending, but I wouldn't expect him to be here next year. He's uh, He doesn't have the stats that you want uh, for the season for the Omaha Lancers. He's 900 save percentage with a over three goals per game. So um, I think that he's probably going to be down for another year. If you really want a new goaltender for next season, I think your only hope is going to be the transfer portal or um, some, some weird signing from Finland. Like we saw with Philip Lindbergh a couple of years yeah. back. Um, th- this is definitely a, a category where there's not really any kind of clear answer at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm being quite frank, I'm not sure if there's going to be an answer, you know, it with, you know, Brady still has one year most likely because he already transferred from, from Arizona state. And then, you know, Pav, I don't think is going anywhere. I don't want to see Pav go anywhere whatsoever. I mean, I'm of the opinion he's he's the best that we got right now. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that he's bad. You know what I mean? He showed flashes of utter brilliance this season, if I'm being completely honest. So he's looked really, really solid when he's been, you know, called upon. You got to remember, he's still a sophomore. You know, he's this is his first year starting when he genuinely, he played, what, one or two games last season? And I think one of them was against LIU. It's like, you know, like who's, you know, what's the, he really hasn't had a whole lot of competition. So, I mean, you know, this was kind of his first big season that he had to be called upon, but I don't think any, you know, goalie is going to be amazing in their first year, you know, unless you're some like superhuman talent, but yeah, I I really don't know what the solution is going to be. I think it's just going to be a case of a lot of hard work in the off season and a lot of improvement, hopefully, because we're, you know, when it comes to timelines and stuff like that, we're kind of locked into both of them right now, unless, you know, Cole says, you know, maybe I'll find a better, a better position elsewhere and we can bring in somebody, but then we're basically right back to square one. You know what I mean? With, you know, Pavisic who hasn't really won the job over this year. And then if there's going to be another transfer coming in, we don't know anything about him either. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's going to be the biggest question mark and, I don't really know where you get the answers from. It's kind of the the weirdest position out of anybody on the team. I definitely want to put it on record. If it, if it does come say August or September and there hasn't been any goaltender movement. um, I I think I'd be fully supportive of the net being Luke Pavisic's for next season. I mean, I think, I think he's been dealt a really tough hand this season. His safe percentage after the season ends is still nine twenty. Uh, people, people like to act like he was bad in goal. Um, I mean, the, the team gave up a ton of shots against him. If we can shore up, uh, some of the defense and we have Pav back for next season as a starting goaltender, um, I don't think I'd really complain. He's definitely shown that he can be the guy, uh, for a team that gives up a, a normal amount of shots. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, at the bare minimum, I think he's like a replacement level goalie at the mm-hmm. bare minimum. And he also gives you the the potential to steal games you know like if we had any sort of offense in that game against UConn at at Toscana back in January Mm -hmm. we got outshot what was it like 45 to like 
19 or something like that. I think it was even less than that. It was like a 3-1 game, you know, or maybe it was a 4-1, but I think one of them was might have been 19-netter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, he let in three goals, and this dude was making 10 bell saves. Like, that's how you, you know, if you get goal support, he, he can win you games. It's just we straight up did not have the goal support or the defensive support, if I'm being completely honest. You know, I think we have him at the bare minimum for another two years. You know, use him. You know, I don't think, you know, as much as Cole Brady did decently to end the season, I I don't know. I mean, he's going to be a decent backup, but I don't know if he'll if he's going to be the starting guy. You know, I, I have I have my doubts. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see with that one. Um, one last category I wanted to touch on is a lot of conversation online about um, the mentality of this team. Obviously, when you lose both of your like kind of mainstay assistant coaches in back-to-back seasons, uh, there's some some room for question marks, I guess. I, I'm wondering how much we can attribute this season to the new coaching staff uh, under Coach Carvel because obviously a big change like that um, especially with the losses that we have is big. Plus um, we lose kind of that, that kind of goalie mentorship that we've had over the last few seasons. So um, I'm not sure. We'll see there there's, they're adding an extra coaching position next year. NCAA is, so we'll see how that gets used, but um, I, I guess we'll have to see another full season to really know if this was a coaching issue or not. I mean, coaching is huge at the bare minimum. Like we haven't had a, you know, we haven't had the core group of guys that we won the Natty with, you know, for a little while now. Like, D-Mike just left at the beginning of basically the season, I guess. We only had, what, maybe a month or two to replace him. I think it was pretty late in the cycle. So he was gone. Barr's been gone for two years now. But, like, we, we've we had so much turnover even just from those guys leaving. Like, we had Matt Lindsay last season. He had one season. He was gone, you know. We had Nolan Glukowski, who was a volunteer assistant, get bumped up. And then all of a sudden, Jacob Pritchard comes in, and now he's getting bumped up. You know what I mean? Like, we have an extremely young coaching staff right now where, you know, I feel like in a lot of cases, experience can be pretty key. You know what I mean? Like, just from a straight-up stability standpoint, like, with all the turnover that we've had, now that we're leaning on some very young coaches, even though Tommy Upton is, you know, he seems like a very, you know, approachable nice you know wicked nice dude we talked to him before games he definitely knows his stuff that's why he's getting hired but he's really the only other senior member of the staff like Gukowski and Pritchard are both like what 26 like in they could still you know I'm pretty sure there's there's players in college hockey right now that are older than them and still playing <laughs> like so I mean you know, I mean the goal at UMass faced last night Mitch Benson I believe he's like 25 or 26 that's what I'm saying dude like you know there's there's still a lot of youth and there's going to be growing pains just like with the youth on the team there's still youth on the coaching staff you know there's going to be there, there's not a lot of stability right now and I think now if we keep everything kind of going from one season to another we're kind of you know we're this was kind of the rebuilding time. Now we got to, you know, if we see results next season, we're going to look back at the season and say, Hey, that was coming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of, that's why I don't really want to give too much of a grade to this season because yeah. it's just like with the basketball team, you know what I mean? Like I even said this on Twitter yesterday, like I made it or made a thing about this morning, the two seasons between basketball and hockey were damn near identical. God tier non-conference play in the beginning of the season, knocked off some really good opponents ended up crap in the bed in conference play and then got bounced pretty embarrassingly in the first round. Like they're literally almost identical seasons. And, you know, you can't really, 
give too much of a grade on it this season because it's all about how we kind of bounce back from it. You know, if this is just an anomaly, we're good. But if this ends up developing into something a little bit worse, then we might have a problem on our hands. But you don't know until next season. So I don't think it's a complete loss as long as we learn from it. Yeah, I definitely think we need to wait till next season to make more of a, a definitive answer there. I will say I am concerned um, having Coach Carvel obviously has been a blessing over the last seven years now, but I never imagined us to finish bottom three in Hockey East, especially the season after winning the whole damn thing. So like if, if this same outcome happens again next season uh, and we finish ninth, 10th or 11th, I am deeply concerned i think but we'll, we'll have to see what happens there i mean that's what happens when you have a transcendental talent like like bobby mm-hmm. trevino like at the end of the day man like i think there was a fair amount of problems with last year's team yeah and we got we got bailed out by some absolute superstars like i genuinely don't think that our defense was amazing last season like it was pretty good you know what i mean but matt murray was a big part of that you know like he he was doing a lot you know just kind of you know stabilizing that 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 defensive end and he he was really you know a major part of that and Bobby Trevino single-handedly like willed us to to multiple wins that season like that guy was genuinely insane like I I'm still of the opinion if we're talking about the Hobie Baker being the most important player like to your team that guy should have won it tenfold like Mm -hmm. I don't think UMass would have even been remotely as good as they were last year without him. And him being gone is massive because it showed that the rest of the team is not amazing offensively. We were, we were, you know, relying on him, Lopina and Waite. You know, that's another thing that's really slept on is Garrett Waite didn't come back obviously due to injury, you know, like that's people don't even think about that because he never even suited up this season, but he was supposed to like that, that really unfortunate injury over the off season happened and it kind of, screwed up a lot of things so you know that was super unfortunate but yeah I think I think we're gonna have a lot of growth this year you know I could literally go into a massive hour-long rant about our offensive woes and I clearly won't to save everybody at home I might you know hand record a podcast and just hand it over to you to, to upload for me but yeah there's there's a lot of glaring issues that need to definitely be solved yeah I mean the numbers don't lie uh last five seasons this year 2.7 2.7 goals for per game. Um, that's easily the lowest in the last five years. The next, the next lowest is 3.1. So um, yeah, those numbers uh, pretty similar all the way down the board when looking at the last four years. So definitely some, some room for improvement there for sure. Yeah. Just the last thing I'll talk about, cause I kind of wanted to mention this a couple, you know, like 20 minutes ago when we first talked about it, but the main reason why we got beat by BC and I think a lot of teams this year is because we don't know how to enter the puck into the zone cleanly. Mm. Every single time that I see other teams dominate us offensively, so we just give them the, the defensive zone. We just say, here, you know, we absorb the pressure. You know, we don't we don't actively try and you know plug up the neutral zone and you know make them chip the puck into the into the into the offensive zone and you know have them chase it down. They just walk right in and we just let it happen. We don't pressure them. And that's what happens a lot. And the problem is is that every other team that we play against pressures the hell out of us and we're forced to chip the puck into the zone and we can never get a clean zone entry the only person this entire season that can reliably you know will the puck into the zone just by himself is taylor mccarr and that requires him to 
take the puck from behind our own net because one of the defensemen will just leave it there for him. He charges around the back end of the ice with a full head of steam and then we'll just take it all by himself, skating full speed. And we're all sitting there in the stands praying that nobody trips him so he doesn't go face first into the boards going 35 miles an hour. That did happen once this year. That is literally the only way we get any sort of reliable zone entries. Nobody else is either fast enough or has good enough stick skills to just bob and weave their way in between defenders. He is the only one that will do that. And it's not even because he's that good on the puck. It's because he will move his legs and drive towards the net. You know, like he is doing it through sheer force of will. He's actually a person that is will over skill, but he also has some skill too. But he just does not give a single crap. And nobody else on the team can really do that. Like, that's what Kale was doing when Kale was here. Like, the, the, the Makar skating business, like, if they were to freaking open up, like, a skating, like, teaching school, it would be the greatest skating school to ever exist. I got to figure out who the hell teaches them how to skate because <laughs> I need skating lessons myself. Like, if, if I could get some of those skating lessons, I would become an Olympic athlete. You know what I mean? Like, it's absolutely insane. So, yeah, the offense relies too much on individual skill. And really only one person kind of has that. And that's why he has 10 goals on the season. Cause I think eight of them are identical where he would just charge yeah. to the net by himself and just flip the puck in and nobody can stop him. Like yeah. we don't have anybody else like that. You make some good points there. One, one other thing too, I just wanted to add real quick is uh, a lot for this team is not being able to finish off good scoring chances. We've seen a lot of times uh, some whiffs on one timers and not mm-hmm. being able to corral the puck when you're right on the doorstep, that kind of thing. So Definitely need uh, some more sure-handed play on the offensive side of things to to get that goals for number back up to a respectable amount. Yeah, I mean, it comes with maturity. You know, again, the team's super young. You know, it's just, like, when I watched BC play last night, they could literally corral any any pass that went into them. Like, when we when we pass the puck, like, across the ice, like, like from, from one side of the ice to the other, it'll always explode off of our stick, and we can never cleanly corral it. It's always... One touch, it flips over our stick, and then we try and bat it out out of the air to settle it down. Every time another team tries to make a pass, they just corral it, we like heel to toe, and they just have it on their tape, glued to it. We we just don't have the stick skills. I mean, I don't know if it's a recruiting thing, like we're deliberately not getting real, you know, guys with super soft hands, like, and they're just prioritizing other things. I don't know. I'm not the coaching staff, but that's why we're here to speculate. Mm. But it's just another pattern that we've noticed, and hoping hoping it doesn't last for much longer because if it does we're we're in trouble yeah yeah for sure all right let's uh let's go through our preseason predictions pretty quick and then we're gonna also have this uh kind of more umass state of the union like as a whole kind of thing right after that so uh at the beginning of the year we had some preseason superlatives we called them um and, and we answered who we thought would be the best for that category for that season we'll go through them pretty quick uh some of the answers are gonna make you laugh a little bit probably knowing how this season has gone but uh first one we had was best forward i said cal Fuke. you said reed lebster um i think yours looks a little better near at the end of the season i think lebster kind of both of us um Fuke and lebster have stepped it up of late but i think uh i think no doubt that the best forward honor kind of has to go to one of Taylor McCarr, Kenny Connors, some one of those guys. Oh, Michael it's, Cameron, easily, maybe. it's easily Kenny Connors. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're understanding just the complete disparity in points on the season that Kenny Connors has against everybody else. Like, if we don't talk about goal scoring, Cameron and Taylor McCarr right up there. But overall, mm-hmm. forward, like just production wise, I mean, Kenny Connors was absolutely filthy to start off the year, 
And even towards the middle of the season, I mean, he was over a point per game for a good majority of the beginning of the season. And then yeah. kind of tapered off towards the end. He kind of, you know, frankly was kind of invisible towards the, towards the, you know, the later half of the season, but that's we do. Why. We do owe him some congratulations. He oh, yeah. was picked for the all rookie team for hockey East this year. So congrats. Kenny Connors on that. That's, that's huge in itself. Yeah, Absolutely massive. I mean, when he's on his game, he is a dangerous, dangerous individual, but again, you're a freshman, the consistency is just not there yet. You know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. But yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody really expected him to blow up the way he did, at least to start the season off, you know, that, that freshman line in the beginning of the season of O'Hara, Connors, and it was kind of Dick, kind of Cameron, they kind of, you know, fluctuated throughout the season, but that freshman line was pure filth and Mm. nobody really expected them to pop off the way they did. So, I mean, the the Cal and Lebster picks, it's not like they really aged poorly. You know what I mean? Like they were still, I think the the second and third best forwards on the team by a pretty significant margin, you know, points wise, but yeah, I I think, you know, this is more of a, of a, of an ode to Kenny Connors rather than a, you know, a shellacking of uh, Lebster or Cal. Yeah, I think we just expected a little bit more of a step up from them with that entire first line from last year no longer being here with us. Yeah. All right, next category we had was best defenseman. We both said Scott Morrow, which I I think you could say is correct. He did lead the team in points um, for the season. I think we're kind of both eye test wise thinking that Ryan Ufko was the best defenseman of the year. This this was the part of the of the conversation that I dreaded. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know how to feel like the highs of Scott Morrow are some amazing highs. You know, when he's, when he's on his game offensively, it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's no other way around that. He, he offensively is a very talented player, but what's the name of the position, Cameron? Defensively. <laughs> he defensively, man. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's suspect to to say the least. Like the plus minus doesn't show it, but he just, it's such a, it's such a massive case of you take the good with the bad, you know, like it seems like every single time, you know, I'll sit there and say, you know, what the hell Moro, you screwed up that, you know, like that play or something like that. And then there's a two, one, one in the other direction. He'll get the puck back and, you know, on the, on the power play or something like that. And he's, you know, scoring two in a game. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess we can forgive those, you know, those previous errors, but at the end of the day, those errors still happen, you know? So I, I don't really know who I would actually give the best defenseman award to because, you know, Ufko's had some really, really amazing games too, but I mean, I guess I test wise, he seemed a bit more consistent, but I mean, the numbers, minus, the numbers don't say that though. I was say, was a minus minus 12. Horrendous. So yeah. like, that's why I'm so conflicted. Like, if you were to if you were to throw away the stat book and you just said, "Hey, Evan, watch all these games this season," and you tell me who you like more, I'd say Ufko off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean the the numbers don't lie. I guess Moro's out there, but it's just, it feels weird to say that. Like I I don't feel confident saying like yeah I like if when I think of best defenseman, I'm thinking you know if we're up by a goal or we're down by a goal, I want him out there to make plays happen. I I'm not leaning tomorrow, man. Like it's as simple as that. He gets bullied in the defensive zone, but he completely bullies people in the offensive zone. But that's, that's not, it's not what a defenseman does. So I don't know. I feel weird about it, but you can probably elaborate better than I can. Yeah. It's what a defenseman can do. Uh, We were obviously spoiled to watch Kale McCarr, Mario (sighs) Ferraro, the likes of those guys, but 
yeah, kind of a kind of a more difficult thing to say this year in terms of bestie man. Yep. All right. For best goalie, this is we kind of already touched on the things that we want to say. I said Cole Brady. Evan said Luke Pavisic. Uh Pavisic's numbers look better at the end of the year. Cole Brady was the the trusted one when the season ended. Um, I, I'd kind of lean Pavisic just because of his numbers, but definitely not like a an outlier in this section as well. Yeah, I mean, Pav kind of like he had a stretch of like 10 games where I think he started all of them. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he was the guy for a bit. So, I mean, I think he's kind of based off that alone. You know, he, he played a lot more games this season than anybody else. But I mean, when you have a season where Henry Graham's getting eight games played, you know what I mean? Or whatever it was like that just shows you, you know, the, the goaltending was a weird mix this season, to say the least. Like, I don't really know exactly where to lean on who was the best because it was kind of a kind of a mediocre pile all the, all the way around. But if we had to pick a best, it's probably Pav just because, you know, his numbers were, in fact, I guess technically I think Graham had the best stats. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think yeah. we're both wrong. I think Henry Graham actually wins this one just based on the stats alone. I mean, I... I feel like we wouldn't be doing our own brains justice if we said that, because it seems like every single time that we talked about Graham this season, we threw his stats out the window and said, well, he played against Lake Superior. You know, he was playing against, you know, all these garbage teams. So why does it matter? So, I mean, that's kind of why I'm saying, like, if I had to realistically pick, it'd be between Pav and Graham. But I think when I think of D1 starting goalie, I'm thinking of Pav. You know, I think Graham's kind of, you know, again, great story. Love the kid. Deserve the stars that he got because everybody else was not stepping up. You know, he he did his job when he was called upon. But, yeah, I'm still sticking with Pat at the end of the day. Yeah, I think I'm with you there, too. Uh, Next one we had was most points. I said Cal Kifuke, uh, dead wrong there. Evan said Scott Morrow, and he was Mm. right on the money. So one point there for Evan. Good job. Take it. Let's go. Uh, Next one is most improved player. Uh, another one that goes to Evan. I said Lucas Mercury, who uh, I got to be honest, was, I was a little disappointed. I think I was expecting a little bit more this year. Evan said Taylor McCarr, who I would definitely say is kind of far and away the most improved player on this roster from last year. I mean, I, I'll take that. I mean, just mainly because Taylor McCarr played 17 games last season, had one goal, and that was his only point of the season. So to get up to 12 points and 10 goals, I mean, leading goal scorer, it's a pretty damn big improvement. Mm. But I mean, I don't really think like Mercury had that bad of a season. I mean, what did he end up having on the season? Oh, all right, never mind. Yeah, because he had 15 points last season. He went down to 14. All right, yeah, definitely no improvement there. So yeah, I win. Easy, easy, <laughs> easy claps right there. Let's go. I'll take that. There you go. Um, next one was Colt Hero, fan favorite of sorts. I said Taylor McCarr um pretty good choice seeing things now it seems like a lot of people rallied behind him at least in the first half of the season Evan said Tyson Dick who uh he saw his play time diminish a lot in the second half um I'm almost I'm almost a little disappointed we didn't see more of him this year but yeah I mean it's kind of a weird one like I don't even know you know I guess if we're picking between the two I don't know how I feel about McCarr because like yeah he's very skillful and people like want to rally behind him but I feel like the penalty minutes and just some of the dirty play this season is kind of inexcusable for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't like, I want to see him succeed and I'm always going to be pulling for him. You know, like he's, he's an awesome dude, but it, it's just like in the same case of Scott Morrow, it's like smarten up, man. You know, like, I don't know. It's just, he's very frustrating to watch at moments. You know, he has very, very high, high moments, but then his low moments are horrendous. So 
I don't know, but yeah, I don't really think in good conscience I can say that Tyson Dick got it either because it's kind of hard to be a cult cult hero when you're not really on the ice a whole lot. I mean, I maybe Michael Cameron. I was thinking Henry Graham. That that is the correct answer. I didn't yeah. even think about that. That you win. Yeah, that's that's so easy. It's easily Henry Graham, and I feel like if we knew that he would even have a lick of starting games, I would have picked him easily. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's such, that's such like a good story and stuff like that. But I think when we were kind of doing all these superlatives, nobody was thinking about that. Like we yeah. didn't even entertain that possibility. We figured, okay, you know, we'll probably be like, you know, locked in for third or fourth in the, in the hockey standings. We'll give him the last game of the season as a treat against Maine or something like that. And no, we actually needed him to play some big minutes at points this season. So yeah, good for him. That's that's easily the cold hero right there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that one. Yeah, and then the the last category you had was best game slash experience. Uh, we we picked different answers basically just to to highlight what yeah. was going to happen this it's season. Belfast, though. Um, I said Belfast. Evan said Frozen Fenway. I'd say for the for the players, definitely Belfast because they they won a game against Lowell. Um, took Quinnipiac to a shootout to see who would win that one. So uh, they played much better than they did at Frozen Fenway. I don't know. For us, we went to Europe for the first time, which was sick. Uh, at Fenway, we also had press passes and got to go on the field and stuff, which when we recorded that episode, I definitely didn't think of that being a possibility. So um, as a fan, both of them were awesome, awesome experiences. Yeah, I mean, the experience for both of those was nuts. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, though, I'm going to throw out an honorable mention for this one. If we're going to talk about best game, I'm going with the main series. Like that was a really sick atmosphere. Check out our arena review of Alphonse if you haven't yet. That's a I'm I'm trying my hand out of plugs for the first time. I think it's working yeah. out pretty well. But I think the main series was huge. I mean, we played really, really solid, at least in that first game at the bare minimum. The experience itself, I mean, the fans were super cool. I'm not gonna do a whole rehash of the of the Alphonse review, but you guys get the idea. I mean, I think you know that's a pretty easy third place. You know, I think you're forgetting Denver. <sighs> I mean, we were yeah. on the highest of highs after those two games. I am kind of forgetting about Denver, aren't I? Yeah, that dude it genuinely doesn't even feel like the season. I think that's I why I'm saying that. Like, it literally feels like that was last season. But yeah, all right. Again, you you make a really good point, and you're just completely <laughs> outshining the hell out of me right now. But you know, it is what it is. I'll, I'll be able to, do, you know, I agree with you fully on that one. So I'll take it. Yeah, so those are our superlatives. Um, with the way this the season went differently than we expected, so um, kind of kind of tough for us with these answers here. Uh, finally, knowing how this season played out, uh, we also predicted the records for UMass this season. I, I'm not even going to go back and find those because we predicted winning records. Uh, so I, I don't think those will be very close. But yeah, that's that's what we predicted. Um, obviously, this season didn't go exactly that way. But uh, at least producing this content here, getting all the support from you guys and stuff like that, that was kind of our main takeaway. It was, it was an awesome time doing this for the, for the full season for the first time. Absolutely loved it. I mean, you know, I really like doing the pod now. It's super fun. Like, I, I'm being honest with myself, I used to be uh, pretty nervous to record these. Like, I used to kind of, you know, I'd have to, like, hype myself up for, like, 15 minutes beforehand. Like, all right, I got to do it's – like, it's like I'm doing, like, public speaking at work. You know what I mean? Like, it's just really nerve-wracking. But – I mean, obviously, I love talking about this team. I love, you know, knowing that we're making content for the wonderful people of UMass Twitter. You know, super fun. You guys are always so supportive. So it makes it, you know, much easier to kind of get up the courage and the strength to record these, even though, you know, 
as you guys can tell, not all of these episodes were, you know, fun to record because, you know, we've had some, some tough moments this season, but we got to push through, you know, if we gave up on the team, that just shows that the team can give up, you know, and that's, that's never correct. So got to keep pushing through and you guys make it really easy to keep pushing through. Yeah, for sure. We can't call our podcast high character and not have high character and keep going through the tough season. So, you know, uh, you know, we'll be back and better than ever for sure. Uh, next season, we just wanted to use the the end of this episode here kind of more um, as maybe like a public address to UMass as a whole. I kind of hoping somebody uh, kind of in the walls of UMass is listening to this as we talk about it. I know I'm speaking for us and for uh, quite a few people in the UMass fan base. But one thing that I really noticed this year that um, I haven't noticed in previous years is I feel like the not necessarily talking about the hockey program. I feel like UMass athletics as a whole is extremely understaffed. And I think it kind of shows itself in a few ways. One immediately um, that I came to my mind was we uh, used to always get a, like a season ticket holder gift, or there would be like an autograph signing for season ticket holders, something like that. We haven't seen anything like that for this season. Um, we were the only team at frozen Fenway that didn't have special jerseys uh, to go along with the game, which was kind of, kind of a tradition for that event, which is pretty tough. We've seen uh, Evan and I have shown our complaints about it throughout the year about um, there not being like a photographer at the away games or not posting the videos of goals from away games and stuff like that. And not only is that like, make our life tough doing the podcast which honestly is like pretty minuscule at the end of the day but like it kind of gives yourself a ceiling for growth on social media like if you're not posting about half of your games um like with updated photos and videos and stuff like that it's just like hard to to grow the brand and we try to do as much as we can with our position but like obviously we can't be everywhere we can't be recording video and taking like photos everywhere and stuff like that so we're trying our best but um i'm kind of just hoping that somebody at umass hears this and uh kind of agrees with me that they might be understaffed and it might be worth kind of using those resources to get some more people uh because the at the end of the day the athletes deserve it i think the like the social media presence and stuff like that is much better at other schools and i think I think I just want, I think UMass deserves the best. And I think the student athletes deserve the best. And I, I think this year more than others, it's definitely been lacking for me. Yeah. That's kind of the key is like when, when I'm, I like look on Twitter and stuff like that, and I see other schools and like the production value of some of the stuff that they do, I'm, I'm blown away. You know what I mean? And it's a lot of the times for schools that really aren't playing as well as us, you know what I mean? Like you can just tell that, you know, the funding is clearly there. Like it might not even be like an understaffing thing. It might just be, from a university level, it's just underfunded because obviously the staffing and the funding are, you know, tied together. So, you know, it's, it's nuts to look at, you know what I mean? Just because there's a lot of really, really good content out there. And, you know, like we just won the national championship two years ago, you know what I mean? Like back-to-back hockey champions. And, you know, there's definitely some really, really good content out there for UMass, you know, fans, like we've seen it. And, that's not what we're trying to get at whatsoever. You mean the people that are already putting in the work are doing really, really good work. You know what I mean? Like Tucci, Chris Tucci's nuts. You know, he's out there Big doing, props to Tucci. doing video edits and stuff like that. This is not a knock on the people that are already putting in work. It's just shout out to Shanley as well. She's facts. done an amazing job. Big facts. Everybody affiliated with, you know, the whole fan experience thing. You guys are all killing it, but genuinely we need more people like you, you know what I mean? Like, 
you guys can only do so much with the resources that you're given. And you guys are clearly maximizing that, but you guys need more help, you know, because you guys can't be everywhere at once. And we've seen that. I feel like people have noticed that online, you know, like this is, I don't think it's just us that have noticed that. I think we're just kind of, you know, we want to at least use what platform we have. I'm not saying we have a massive platform, but I think we're pretty in touch with, you know, UMass athletics and, you know, the people that support it, you know, this is, this is definitely a big thing that needs to kind of be noticed in our opinion. Yeah. And uh, shout out as well to like the people over at daily collegian WMUA stuff like that for their coverage as well. Um, I just, this kind of, I definitely knew I wanted to talk about this when I saw um, a job posting for something related to like UMass, uh, like game day production, that kind of thing. Um, a spot that opened up a couple months ago. I was just kind of reading through like the job description and what was required. And the pay was was not great for what this job entails. And the job description is, in my opinion, what uh, a team of three, four, five people should be doing. Nobody should be putting uh, all of that on their plate and expected to be doing a good job with it. Um, never mind for the the pay that's being offered there. I think I think UMass definitely can do better in terms of hiring and having positions and just uh, trying their best to to build a team up of of people to support these student athletes. They they truly deserve it, and the UMass fans deserve it as well. I think it's not even just from like purely like a content standpoint. Like I mean, well, it is, and that's kind of what the point I'm going to get to is like it's it you got to see it as a reinvestment you know mm-hmm. like like the, these sorts of you know expenditures and getting these high level production values are going to bring fans into your program like people are going to see that and say wow i really want to go to a game now like this looks really fun and really cool and like not to say that that isn't already happening but again if you're able to elevate that even more we're going to get so much more social media engagement like that's just the way that things work nowadays is everything's run by social media you know you have to be able to get the clicks, you know, get, get everybody interested in what you have to offer. Like we're, we're kind of in the same exact business. We're trying to get people to see our stuff all the damn time. And we're only two people at the end of the day. So, you know, we, we completely understand that you need, you need manpower to get stuff done. And I feel like UMass as a whole could, you know, benefit both financially and just straight up exposure wise for, for having more people affiliated with content and, you know, branding and stuff like that at UMass. Yeah, obviously, if any anybody from the school like wants to like reach out to us and have like an actual conversation about this, I feel like we're pretty tapped in to a lot of like the fans and definitely open to like talking about our own suggestions if that's at all something you'd want. I just a couple of things happened throughout the season that I definitely wanted to put out there as something you mask can do better in. I just we love we love having simple. guests on high character as it is. You know, we've already you know, talk to multiple people affiliated with UMass athletics and just kind of, you know, branding and marketing type stuff. So this is the, you know, we're, we're no stranger to this stuff. So, you know, obviously we'll, we'll be happy to give you guys a a reasonable platform to speak on it. You know, like I I like to think we're pretty, you know, unbiased when it comes to this stuff. We just want the truth, you know, it's pretty simple. Even totally off the record, our our DMs are always open. hundred percent. One more thing that kind of came up to us this year that we also wanted to talk about was kind of, the atmosphere at Mullins, obviously when you have like a losing season like this, it's really tough to build the interest. Obviously winning is the number one solution to every conceivable problem, basically with a, with a college sports program. But this really came to us when we were at Maine and we kind of saw 
how dedicated they were for a 500 team, um, how many traditions they have in the student section like that uh, and stuff like that and how, how dedicated their fans are and stuff. And I get at Maine, they uh, kind of one of the only things to do up there when you're that deep into the woods and hockey and stuff like that. But it was so cool watching them with their traditions and everything that they have there, how dedicated their fan base was. I think we just kind of, kind of wanted to use this as an opportunity to like, if you're a student and you want that and you want the rowdy student section with people coming, like somebody's got to step up to make that happen. Like, I, I don't know if you want, like, obviously feel free to like, we want to help if we can, obviously we're not students. We can't do all that much, but if we can help in any way, let us know. I just, I, I want to, it's so tough for two people like this to just say this, but like, we want to create more of that, like, rowdy like traditional college hockey atmosphere and we don't know how to do it but we want to help as much as we possibly can hey i'm gonna say it right now i know how to do it and if i have to be the one to name drop it i'll take the heat for it the militia needs to step up again like the militia used to be the fan student section at umass like we were a part of it for a little bit you know we knew the leadership of it very well so even when we weren't a part of it officially we were tapped in and we knew what was going on and we tried to help out you know when we could you know, they put in work when we were students, you know, the, the militia, you know, was kind of, you know, they used to make these little sheets like bunker banter, whatever they mm. called it. They start making fun of other teams and stuff. They would get the team, you know, or like just the fans kind of engaged with our opponents. They would say, you know, what things to shout out at the goalie, you know, whatever there were, you know, it would give you little updates on like who scored in the last game, you know, what the team's record was super informative stuff. I genuinely have not seen even a tweet out of the militia account since I think October, like the beginning of the year. Like they're, they're effectively gone. And this is the same student section that had a big, you know, massive, you know, basketball reveal seeing that they got, you know, renamed and there's a new name for the official student section. 10 people showed up to the basketball games and that, that new name was never reflected at all. Like there's clearly a major disconnect between what is allegedly the official, you know, student section of UMass athletics and the actual UMass athletics people. Like Mm -hmm. there needs to be, Somebody stepping up. I don't even know who the hell the leader is of the militia is right now. Like, I don't even know if it's still a functioning student organization on campus. Like, but that used to be the thing. There's some sort of clear intellectual property there that could be taken advantage of once again, because I still have all four of my militia shirts. I'm not trying to sound like a, you know, like a boomer or whatever, like, oh, back (laughs) in my day with, you know, the militia. But like, we had something like that and it's no longer being taken advantage of. And you know, I don't know if we need to start some sort of grassroots campaign to get that, you know, back into the forefront, but it used to be there and now it is literally a ghost of its former self. And I think that's where a lot of the issues lie because it used to be a really, really, you know, decently run, you know, like kind of student organization that people, you know, that were massive athletics fans could kind of reach out to and find like-minded people Mm. and sit together at games and be rowdy and cheer on the teams that they support. And I haven't seen a single lick of that this entire season. Yeah. And I mean, you and I, like we we haven't been students for three years now. We can only help so much. Like if we can do anything, if you're a student, like if we can do anything, please let us know. And we'll use our platform as much as we can to promote things like that. But, um, and I, 
I think some of the diehard fans for hockey, at least like you haven't been going unnoticed. Like the guy that paints himself red, like that guy's a keep, whack job. I love it. Keep keep doing that. That's sick. Uh, I see you guys that have the um the high vis vests. The group of guys assist together. Yep. The the girls that sit together with the pom poms. Like if you're unique and like you have your own thing, like we see you like every game. We appreciate your effort. We need more of that stuff. New new traditions being made and that kind of stuff. But that's the thing, though, that gets me is like we have all of these fragmented, you know, different sections Mm -hmm. come together, damn it. You know what I mean? Like, go for a common goal. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Like, you know, you're there with your friends or whatever. It's probably a friend thing. I get that. You don't have to, like, actually start intermingling with other fans. That's on you. You know what I mean? But, like, there's clearly, like, people do care. It's simple as that. People definitely care. They have their own little traditions. We got to build upon that. You know, Mm -hmm. there's at least a little bit of a foundation there. That's like a couple of bricks, but you need more than that to build, you know, the, the UMass fandom house, if you will. I don't know. I'm coming up with crappy analogies here, but you get the idea. Like just, you know, we, there are definitely people that are are out here in the student section doing their thing. But if, if, if it's just a couple of different groups, that's all this is going to be is us shouting them out at the end of the season. You know, it's not going to kind of grow from there. So I don't know. Something definitely needs to change. If somebody who's a current student right now and is watching this wants to reach out, our DMs are always open. Like, let us know if there's anything that we can feasibly do to help out with that. Spread the word. Whatever the hell we got to do, we're down for it. Because we want to see that atmosphere that Maine had in Mullins. Because the people, we have people there showing up. We've just got to collectively organize them into the UMass Hockey Hive mind. And then we'll just, we'll, we'll have them. You know what I mean? Like they'll be shouting out stuff at the same time, making an awesome atmosphere. And, you know, we'll have our chants going, you know, music, dancing, whatever the hell's going to go on, but it's going to be a fun time. But we just got to get people together. Yeah. And I think, I think the school definitely hasn't set that up for success very well. I mean, like taking away the goal song and stuff like that is stripping away traditions that we have. Don't I mean, me started that fight. That fight is not going to be won by us. Just say that it's not even worth uh, like fighting over anymore. But like, if you want to use the excuse that UMass is a party school and like, that's what kids are going to want to do on Friday and Saturday nights. Like, I don't think that's very fair because there's so many other schools that have, just such fun hockey traditions that always have students show up, even though they have a reputation for being a party school. So it's definitely possible. Um, we know UMass can really pack that place. We just, we want, we want UMass, like we want the student experience and the fan experience to be as best as it can. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to achieve that, but um, that's what we're just really trying to do by, by talking about this here at the end of the season. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, and we can kind of wrap up is just being a fun clean hockey atmosphere doesn't have to be boring you know Mm -hmm. i think i think that is what is getting lost in translation between you know whoever's trying to kind of clean up the university and you know professionalize things if you will like i don't know what the the correct word would be like i I, there's definitely a word for just like becoming like too corporate and just trying to like make it a very clean family friendly you know everybody's welcome here everybody can be welcome you know like nobody in the main games felt unwelcome and that place was rocking you know what i mean like they had their clear chance they wanted to make known for everybody. You know, they had a certain way that they want to make the, you know, they wanted to make the goaltender feel, you know, and that clearly, you know, people were, were feeling that and it was a really fun time. So we, we don't need to be boring and just kind of lackadaisical in order for us to be, you know, fun and still family friendly. You know, mm-hmm. we can still, there, there's a balance there and other schools have found it. 
and we just need to find it ourselves too. Yeah, you make a good point. And I, I don't want to fully say like this is a, like a UMass problem. I mean, winning helps as well. But uh, we see we saw like at Maine, like they're they're not a great team this year. Their their season's over as well. But they have people showing up uh, in crazy numbers and making a lot of noise. So that's just what we want. We're trying to trying to put that out into the world, I guess. Yeah, if we want to talk about Coach Carvel always talking about building a culture inside the locker room, the students and you know the fan base needs to do their part in creating a culture outside of the locker room and inside the arena. That's that's what I think the the major takeaway is there. For sure. All right, we've uh we've gone long enough in this episode, I think. Right. Um, this will be our last episode for quite a bit. Um, the next time you'll hear from us is, is later on in the summer. Uh, we're gonna be back and better than ever with interviews and uh preseason stuff like that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. It, it will be fun, but after doing this for multiple times a week, every week for six months, we we're going to need a little bit of a break here to kind of refresh along with the team. So that's what we're going to do. We'll have one more vlog coming out from Maine. Uh, I still have to work on that. So be on the lookout for that on our socials. We'll still be posting a little bit too, with some recruiting news and that kind of thing, just regular off season stuff there. So we'll still be posting, keep an eye out for that, but just wanted to say one final thank you for all of your support this year. You guys have, truly inspired us to do all of this even through the through thick and thin with this hockey team um there hasn't been a game that's gone by this year that somebody hasn't come up to us and said hi and just had good conversation with us and talked about how they support us and the show and stuff like that so it means a lot to for that i mean we we did 62 episodes year this year which is a ton and you guys have been kind of the leading factor in uh motivating us to do that so thank you so much for your support it's been it's been really cool on this journey. Yeah. I think that's kind of the big takeaway is just, it'd be really, really hard to get the motivation to do these if we were getting like seven downloads an episode, but yeah. we're getting way more than that. I mean, clearly there's a demand for this stuff and couldn't be more appreciative to you guys that kind of, you know, makes it all worth it. Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, it's not like we're getting, you know, we're not like running like a Patreon. We're not getting money for this. This is all like a passion project at the end of the mm-hmm. day. So, you know, it, the, the passion, goes you know really far but obviously you know kind of the the fan base that we're kind of building because of this is obviously a massive supporting factor as well so yeah thank you guys so much it's really really big yeah i mean we don't ask for this ever uh if you do if you do want to um get rate us in uh the app store wherever you get your podcast give us five stars true that'd be truly appreciated if you want to follow us on our our social medias it's all in our in the link in our bio um, on Instagram or Twitter or something like that. Uh, I also have uh, my Venmo in the um, in the link tree. If you if you do feel inclined to to donate to the cause here, I promise you it'll go back into this pro uh, into this project with high character. But um, obviously nobody has to. Uh, I, I'll never say that again either. Just at the end of the season. Yeah, but, we literally um, do this once a year. I think I don't think we've ever done like a please like and subscribe thing for yeah. like a year now. So it's been a while. Yeah, so th- that'll be the only time we say that probably until the last episode next season. So, um, again, thank you guys uh, for everything, and go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. And this isn't a goodbye. It's just a see you later. Mm-hmm.